Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Today is Sunday, February 21st. This is episode 135. I'm Tony. And I'm Dennis. And I don't think we have a whole lot, uh, well, at least not in pinball to talk about today, but I know we have a little bit in video games. Kind of becoming a refrain lately. We had all that surprise stuff in December and it just it, it like killed everything else. Now, normally the winter months are are slower, at least on the video game front. So, yeah. in a way, I don't think this is all that atypical. But what is typical is we have two weeks between our various recordings, and sometimes stuff happens during those two weeks. So, Tony, has anything happened in the last two weeks? Um, there was a massive cold snap that had me spending a huge chunk of last weekend at work helping out deal with issues because well i work with water and outside and being well below zero it doesn't like it so we had all sorts of equipment freezing and breaking and it was a long long weekend yeah my uh i mine was not driven by cold but we are because the kansas legislative session is going on right now that we're in the period of time where they're trying to push through, get their bill. They were trying to get through their bill introductions over the last two weeks because the, most of those, the, all of those deadlines actually, other than exempt committees have passed at this stage. And now we're at the point where they're trying to get all the hearings done because again, outside of what we consider exempt uh, committee work, there is turnaround, which has to happen like at the first week of March. So all these committees are trying to do all their bills. And so I've just had a ton of tracking and testimony writing. I had to do two presentations to two committees. I've got testimony this week. Uh, so, and like, I don't do a lot of testimony. So like lobbying is a really small part of my job, but it is an important part. So it's just, it's just been lately just inundated with this political legislative stuff, which is not my favorite part of the job, but it is critical. Well, so, And it's all kind of crushed together because Kansas's legislature only sets for like five months yeah on paper but they take most of april off so it's like they yeah they come they come in mid-january and then not a lot tends to happen in january then february is really busy for stuff to get that has to get through one chamber and then march is when it's mostly getting through the other chamber and then usually by early april that's when they're supposed to wrap up that's when what we have what's called drop dead day is in early april then they take like all of april and most of may off and they come back technically just for the veto session. The only purpose of that comeback, in theory, is to override any vetoes that they want to from the governor. Now, sometimes they take that period and they actually do legislative work or work on the budget. But in an ideal world, they're actually pretty much done. And they were, I mean, the pandemic rushed everything last year, but I haven't heard of anything's really going to drag things out this year and make them work the veto session. Uh, I'm hoping not. At least I'm hoping that the budget's not. I would like that all known in April. So we'll see. But yeah, so we're in that busy period because yeah, it's just really compressed. It's, it's five months on paper. And then in reality, they actually only work about, uh, something on the order of like 85 or 90 days. Yeah. Which is very limited. Especially when you think about like Fridays, most of the time they don't have committee work on Fridays. They can, they will if they absolutely have to, but most of them don't because they don't want to have a committee on Friday. They want to drive home. Yeah, Kansas's legislature is a very weird animal to me. So, I don't know. Maybe most states operate in such a limited time span. I'm yeah, not I mean, sure. I- most have part-time legislators like, and don't don't have year-round uh, sessions. Um, 
So yeah, it's not, I think most are probably like that. Um, I don't know if they all arrange it the same way we do, like the worst weather months are when they meet and things like that. But thanks to the pandemic, they've actually done a bunch of upgrades to their systems and they are for first time ever, they're allowing people to testify virtually. So I, uh, last week was the first time I ever did that. I went in and in person did testimony for the first one I had to do, but then I thought, let's try this WebEx thing. And it worked out okay for me, but the the chair of the committee she lost power <laughs> i got through my presentation and then she asked me a question and then i i answered it and then there was just dead silence and i thought i had lost connection i saw a notice about low bandwidth and it turned out the chair had lost her connection and without the chair the committee didn't know who to, like the chair runs the committee so no right. one was saying anything and i finally just said did I drop out? And someone said, no, no, we all can hear you. It's just the chair. We're trying to figure out if she can come back <laughs> on or, or, or what? And she could not. So I was like, oh, well, I hope she heard most of the, I just thought maybe my answer was really bad. And she didn't know what to say. After <laughs> She's that. just like, I'm out. This is like, oh, that was not the right thing to say. Dennis. I was like, oops, I thought it was good, but. It's like that first date where you say the just the absolute wrong thing and you're just like, oh, I'm going to just go ahead and take the check and leave now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, just another blunder in the world of Dennis. Well, um, I have outside of work, I just last night, I stayed up later than I normally would and I finished control. So I've. So you stayed up till 730. Hey, I got my supper in at four and then I got my game done. And I, why am I making it sound kind of like Bill Cosby? Sorry. Um, and my jello pudding pop. I don't know. I, I make the, I, I make the joke, but I go to bed before my kids half the time because I get up at four. So <laughs> no, I'm usually, I'm usually not playing games past nine. Just even on the weekends, I just usually uh, at that after that point, I'll switch over and watch TV or something. So I think I was I mean, it wasn't super late. I think I finished a little before 11. So anyway, I haven't started a new game yet, though. I haven't popped one in because I haven't done anything since that. But yeah, yeah I finished well, it up. That, Fun game. I like that it. makes sense. Yeah, I know you were talking about it last episode. Mm. It has All Alan Wake references is... in it, and I really liked Alan Wake. Alan so, Wake was a fun game. I was surprised. I was really. I remember when Alan Wake was coming out, and I heard about that. Oh, well, these bad guys, and you have to shine on them with a flashlight before you can shoot them. And I thought that sounds so stupid. I'm not sure I'm going to like that mechanic. And it turned out to be really fun. So, it was a very enjoyable I game. Wish, I wish they'd sequel it. But anyway, the, uh, yeah, no. Uh, for me, I've not been. I've been playing more Battletech. It's you don't even want to know my hour counting. No, it's, I don't. It's it's bad. It was it's bad so, last time. It's it's worse. It's worse. At least you I, know you have a problem. I have a problem. It seems to be that I get forty to fifty hours in a two week period added to that game is what I'm doing right now. It's kind of sick. Nice. No, not really. It's no, kind no, of depressing I'm just, I'm being actually. Polite. But that that's just is I just I, and the thing is is not that's not continuous play because it's I'll stop in the middle of a thing since it's turn based and go grab dinner and do stuff like that. But yeah, I basically log it on and then play it off and on through the night and then go to bed. Hmm. Well, yeah, at least it's I'm, keeping you entertained. It, 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 it's definitely doing something. So. Well, we'll do something then, and let's go ahead and uh, move into the first of our two topics, which is pinball. I do have a couple of subjects, uh, not 
not a whole lot of meat on the bone here, but we're going to pick off what we can. First is I do want to reference an email that uh, someone sent to us at eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail.com. From, this one's from Andrew. He wrote in and he said the following. Just listen to the latest podcast. So here is my theory. Number one, bill of material costs up from COVID. Number two, increased labor costs, including COVID prevention and safety costs. And number three, Jersey Jack Pinball realizing they need to give up, need to up their game on Toy Story following Guns N' Roses. Increased costs for additional Toy Story assets and bill of materials to make that happen, necessitating a price increase. Better to do that now versus at Toy Story release. So for those that don't know, on the last episode, we talked about the $1,000 price increase on all models of Guns N' Roses. And Andrew is supplying his theory as to why they did that, meaning Jersey Jack Pinball's latest game. So. Tony, what are your thoughts about Andrew's theory about the the bill of material costs going up? I think we touched on that a bit during our episode about maybe we didn't. I've heard it since then, though, at least on other podcasts or his second point, the labor costs and the third point about them needing to, quote unquote, up their game. Uh, I agree with the first two. Uh, The third one, I can see an argument for it. The question there is just, is it better to increase the cost halfway through running this uh, one out, or does that actually add anything more compared to just waiting and having Toy Story come out with a higher cost? Right. And yeah, I'm in alignment, as I often am, in alignment with you. Uh, I do agree with Andrew about the bill of material costs uh, being up. I've heard on other podcasts, uh, again, I thought we touched on it, maybe we had not. I thought we but, did too. But I've I've at least since then heard more information about people talking about prices on on wood in particular. Uh, I don't know what the current markets are on things like copper and such, but that so I, I know I, wood has gone up because so many people are doing at-home projects and stuff. I've heard of, from a bunch of my friends and coworkers who do like woodworking and construction that cost has gone through the roof. And I've also, I believe in regards to when Deep Root announced uh, delays on shipping out Retro Atomic Zombie Adventureland to the buyers of that, they had noted some struggles with getting some of the parts in that they were trying to order just because of supply chain issues. So again, that could tie into bill of material costs as well. So I definitely agree with number one. Number two, I could... uh, I could envision the increased labor cost thing. The thing is about COVID prevention and safety is before Guns N' Roses was released, we were already in the middle of the pandemic. So all of that should have already been embedded. So I'm not sure that one's in play. I, or I should say, I think that one's in play, but I'm not sure it's in play with the current $1,000 price increase because there's nothing that would that came out since then, is there, that would explain on the labor front? Here is an evil theory. My evil theory is that what happened is they realized they needed to do a $2,000 price increase, but they figured people would balk at it. So they forced the first half of it to the latter production models of Guns N' Roses. So then when Toy Story comes out, it's just a $1,000 jump, not a $2,000 jump. Hmm. That's an interesting idea. That I hadn't thought about. That yeah, that's a good evil theory. Because uh, yeah, I was getting you know getting to number three where I was in. I I disagree with Andrew about about the notion that it that the that was better to do the price increase now than at Toy Story. People are used to seeing price increases when a new model comes out. So 
I don't I think that would have been less alienating than what they did with increasing the price by so much mid run on a game. But but if your evil theory is correct and they're going to increase the price again on Toy Story, that makes more sense. I could definitely see that because I, I agree with you. I think it would have I mean, people seeing one thousand dollars no matter what was going to give them sticker shock. But right. I, I think that but I could definitely with a thousand, I could definitely see them going, oh, but it's a completely new game. And maybe there's something they can point to saying, hey, look at this thing. People in pinball, uh, I don't mean this is going to sound mean. I don't mean it to be super mean, but maybe a little mean. Some of you know, let me let me generalize it. Uh, let me let me lower my generalization a little bit so we don't get too much. Blowback. <laughs> Some of you in pinball are not that smart. So you see something and you think it's worth a lot of money and it's just really not like you have no concept of cost value. Like the value equation doesn't factor in because it's pinball and you just see like there's a toy on there and it's a cheap toy. But to some of you, you see LEDs on it and all of a sudden you think it's a, it's $500. Like, like LEDs are expensive or something. So you can trick some people in pinball. Others know better, but you can trick some people by just pointing at a thing and saying, look at this thing. And if the thing looks fancy enough, People will accept the price increase, even though whatever you added was super cheap. Does that, does that make right. sense? Am I being no, no, fair? No, no, makes, makes complete sense. It, people can get caught by the, ooh, shiny. Right. Some things uh, manufacturers add are really actually expensive. You know, you'll hear about like George Gomez talking about how much an actual mech to do drop targets really does run on the bill of materials. But then the other thing, the one I always like to point to is it seems like if you stick color changing LEDs, like people still think it's like 2005 or something that color changing LED technology is expensive and difficult and it's neither. Yeah. I mean, you can buy a strip. We've got, my, my daughter has a loft bed and we've got color changing LEDs that run all around her bed that control and they'll respond to music and do all this stuff. And it costs us like 15 bucks. Right. But, but people, when it comes to pinball, they're just, it, it's some, some people, they're just like, whoa, color changing LEDs. I guess that's 500 more dollars. And it's like, why? Why is it that? You, they don't ask why. They don't, maybe they don't care. That's fine. But so, yeah, I could see that idea. So that's an interesting blend, like you taking Andrew's concept here and saying that, well, okay, they needed to up the bill of materials for Toy Story. And there are these additional costs. Let's up it incrementally. Let's do a thousand now on GNR and let's do another thousand. We'll have to see if they jump that price. I'm, I'm going to have to say, uh, you heard it here first, folks. Tony was right. If they do that, if Toy Story is another thousand on top of this, holy crap, though. I mean, oh, I, I just, man, I hate the very concept of it, but I can see it. I can see it so easily. Well, with the continued delays of the pandemic, I I really wonder, as a strategy, I don't think it's a terrible idea if Jersey Jack Pinball is going to say, you know what, we toyed with the idea of like doing standard editions and trying to bring more operators in and stuff. Let's go the complete opposite way. Here, this pinball company is about flexing. Rich people only. Come here if you you have to be able to pay five figures. All of our games are five figures. You want to show people how much better you are than them. You prove that with your bank account and you prove that thus by buying our games. People would do it without a doubt. People would do it. And people might say, why are you doing this? Pinball was about, you know, egalitarianism and, and being accessible to the masses. And, you know, the response can be Ferrari doesn't make a cheap model. Why should we? <laughs> We're the Ferrari of pinball. Vroom.
And there are people who would eat it up. They'd be they all might about not, it. They might not verbalize it in the same way I am, but I, there are people that I get the impression they do this as a status thing. So um, a company orienting itself. I mean, they already are the seen as the premier. When you're talking like collector's edition, they're the premier lineup. I mean, they're not always the most expensive pin. We've seen Stern try and do this with some of the things like Batman Super Limited Edition and stuff. But right. it's I still really feel this is Jersey Jack's domain. You know, when you compare a high-end Stern to a high-end JJP, I think most people would agree that the high-end JJP looks like it's got more invested in it. Yeah, it does. Under it the hood and above. So, yeah, I mean, they've always been that way. That's always been their zone. Yep, but it seemed like they were trying to put their foot in the pond of let's also have something so people can experience our games on look and there there's good reason for that too because if they want to have increased sales, they need to get the they need to get more exposure to their games. But again, the pandemic has just thrown a monkey wrench in that whole thing. Mhm. So, anyway, uh, interesting email. So, thank you for that, Andrew. Uh my second pinball topic, Tony, is about American pinball. So they have hired I, I I'm gonna miss maybe miss say his name Jack Hager I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right I should have re-listened uh, again to uh, his interview but uh, he's been hired as art director for American Pinball I have a link in the show notes to a Loser Kid Pinball podcast episode where they're interviewing him I'm actually partway through that interview I haven't listened to all of it yet but uh jack has he helped design a whole lot of stuff especially on the video game side i believe he he did work on final artwork with ultimate spider-man and one of the star wars games but um he like from my arcade experience he helped design sinistar that old arcade game oh i remember sinistar yeah i on the on the loser kid podcast they were talking to him and he mentioned how a lot of kids back in the day found that game chilling i did not find sinistar chilling i found it terrifying <laughs> I I just remember when the Sinistar thing, when Sinistar came after you, after he got built and came after you, like it was a jump scare for me. And so I would keep playing the game because I was kind of dumb. And, and, but I always knew he was eventually going to come and it would scare me. So I, I played in a terrified state of mind. And then basically once he appeared, I like, fro- I was like petrified. I couldn't do anything. I was too scared. And I drop another quarter in anyway. I don't know. I watched a lot of horror movies then too, so maybe something was wrong with me. But regardless, I do remember Sinistar. I uh, worked on the Amiga computer, a uh, number of video games in the 90s. Uh, I think he was with Midway. So he's done a lot of artwork in gaming. Um, but I, I think the interesting thing is uh, where I wanted to have a brief discussion with you, Tony, is so American Pinball, they've been making some moves. So here they are. They've hired Jack as art director. They've got Dennis Nordman now as their as their lead senior designer. Uh, they've got David Fixes, who's making all of these moves, talking about American Pinball putting out two to three games a year. They seem to really be trying to turn the pinball fortunes around at American Pinball, which from all reports I have received has not done very well on any of their three title sales, which for those that aren't familiar were in order, Houdini, Oktoberfest, and most recently Hot Wheels. Do you think these moves are going to better position American Pimp? Is it going to make a difference? Do you think that they're actually going to be able to increase their sales with these steps that they're taking? You know, it's going to depend upon the theme of the game and how much fun it is to play. Because that's everything. Uh, Oktoberfest wasn't fun. And the theme wasn't great. 
Houdini had an interesting theme, and I, I actually enjoyed Houdini, but it had a difficulty ramp that was hard enough that I could see it pushing the casual players away. And I, I don't know. I've never even played Hot Wheels, and I don't really care about it. I'm not one of those people who has a giant Hot Wheels memory uh, thing. I mean, I had Hot Wheels, but it's not like it's some core center of my childhood. So for to me, it, it, it doesn't have that kind of draw uh, that I believe it was targeted at bringing people in with. So it's just a racing game. Yeah, uh, I agree with you that ultimately it's really going to come down to theme. And David has mentioned he gets that. So uh, obviously we need to see what their what their theme approach is. I liked the idea, like looking at Hot Wheels, it looks fun to me. I like the layout of it. I yet have not played it, so I, I'm looking forward to finally getting some time with it. I I did uh, think Houdini was fun with what limited time I had on it. I was not impressed by Oktoberfest, uh, and I thought the theme was awful. But uh, and but the problem with Hot Wheels to me wasn't the game. The game of the three looks like the most entertaining game for my gameplay style to want to shoot. But the problem is that Hot Wheels is a C-tier license. And I was just like, if you're going for a license, why would you go for Hot I just, like, how many Hot Wheels people are you going to, are going to love Hot Wheels as adults enough that they're buying that game? Is that, is, it's better than Houdini and Oktoberfest. But Truth. is it that much better? Like, if you had, if you told me, I got, I saw on paper why they thought it made sense because like Hot Wheels are in all these stores. They're still relevant. They have a YouTube show. It's like, like, if you didn't, really dive into it i could see why people would think this is a good idea but it's just like i think it's just scratching the surface you're like this doesn't carry over in the same way i think to most people whereas i if you were to ask me dennis which would you rather pick hot wheels or some now has been off the air tv show license that had a big following i'd probably say the tv show i mean we'd have to guess what you know it depends on what tv show it would be but like if you were to ask me which would be smarter to make based something off of Hot Wheels or HBO's Deadwood, I would have said Deadwood. Right. Well, and if you're looking at the nostalgia draw, even looking at the nostalgia draw from when you were a kid, is Hot Wheels the necessarily the toys that you would have been thinking of? I think Stern hit that nostalgia draw right with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mean, because if I was looking for something when I was younger, uh, especially if you're looking for something from a toy level uh, it'd be something along the lines of like G.I. Joe or Transformers or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Or if you want to go for something that's less of a high pull, um, I was a big He-Man fan back when I was a kid. Uh, stuff like that has a higher draw than Hot Wheels because it's just toy cars. Right. And that's where that uh, when I mentioned that scratching the surface of the concept and the popularity and how many Hot Wheels are sold that when I think when Hot Wheels was announced, we we discussed this then. But yeah, the point still stands and you hit on it with pointing out all those other 80s shows that you have more nostalgia for than Hot Wheels. They all had storylines and personality. Hot Wheels doesn't except through their YouTube show. But the problem is the YouTube show didn't exist when we were kids, and kids today don't have money to buy Hot Wheels, the pinball machine. So that's where that that's where the that's where the theme collapses. You picked a theme that didn't have any personality to it, except 
in the modern era. But adults of the modern era don't have any nostalgia associated with that story and the monsters and the city and all of that. I hear it's cool. I hear it's fun on the screen and that, that it's a it's a good show, that people like that show. But again, there's just no nostalgia for it. G.I. Joe wasn't just the figurines. We saw the cartoon. We They were fighting Cobra. There was a story to it. Uh, same for Thundercats, same for He-Man, same for Snorks and Smurfs. They had stories. So you can have nostalgia and there's personality there. Uh, a Mustang doesn't have personality. Yeah. Except an actual horse, Mustang. It might have personality. it probably bite you. They seem vicious. It's a vicious killer. Uh, but yeah, no, I. it seems like something that might have worked as an idea for operators. Because of it would have a draw for kids, but it just didn't do anything for me. I know online I saw lots of people who were super excited and thought it was a great theme. But the truth of the matter is I've gotten to the point where a pinball group could put out Cow Patty the Pinball Machine. And there's somebody who's going to be so hot on that theme and think it's the greatest theme ever. Well, we saw the same with Oktoberfest. There were people arguing, arguing that it was a good theme pick. It wasn't. And the sales prove it wasn't. Right. I mean, there's there's no way that you could even consider it a, gr- a, a, a good pick, let alone a great pick. I can understand people saying it's a fun, like they love the game. I can understand that. I can't understand people thinking that it was, from a market consideration, a smart theme. It might be a theme that you as an Oktoberfest connoisseur might like, but I could also like, I enjoy watching my niece open Christmas presents. I would never suggest Christmas as a pinball theme. Even though I might like the holiday, it doesn't mean it's a good pick. Oktoberfest isn't even the first holiday that I would choose of the co-opted drunken holiday. That's that was what was the most shocking thing to me. How do you, how do you t- like? What would you have picked? It, like uh, alcohol themed, exactly. And for me, Oktoberfest wouldn't even be second. It would be Cinco de Mayo. I'd have gone yeah. Oktoberfest third. Sorry, Germany, but the I mean, welcome to America. These are the two: St. Patrick's Day and Cinco de Mayo. Those are the big holidays that are celebrated involving alcohol. There are areas with with large German populations, ancestral populations, where Oktoberfest is a lot bigger. But here's the thing. Kansas has a really large German ancestral population, and you never hear about Oktoberfest stuff. Or if you do, it's like some little thing that doesn't touch St. Patrick's Day or Cinco de Mayo. Right. There's some small towns that do their own things, is what all I'm aware of. Whereas, right. I mean, if you try and go to a Mexican restaurant on Cinco de Mayo, we did that once. Do you remember? Once? Yeah. <laughs> well, sorry, we learned our, we learned our wow. lesson three hours later. Uh, it was so bad. <laughs> and then, of course, St. Patrick's Day. I mean, the I mean, all sorts of cities have the parades. The bars are packed. It's hard to park then anywhere. We used to have problems at the office with people parking in our reserved lot because it was within walking distance to the downtown bars. I mean, it was just it's just how it is. And so, yeah, I mean, anyway, we're we're going off on a tangents, but oh, long story short, I think you and I are in complete alignment that. The these moves that David Fix is making with American Pinball on paper, they sound good. If his license picks, if they're they're really going to actually do some real licenses, that ultimately is the most important decision. I think that like Jack coming on board, eh, 
could be good. I didn't think they had a bad artist. I, I think uh, they've had some hit or miss art packages, but I don't think that it's the skill of the artist that was the problem. Right. Yeah. Now I can I can see that. I mean, Oktoberfest looked terrible, but everything about it was bad. But I think that they are setting themselves to be in a really good position, provided that they get an actual good license. I mean, I'll say that. They're putting themselves in a good position to try and jumpstart their line and try and jumpstart their brand, but they're on life support, Mm -hmm. period. Yeah, well, we have both predicted their imminent demise before, and I am impressed that they're doubling down and they're doing changes. I think this is necessary. If they really want to try and be pinball manufacturers, something had to change. David's clearly trying to do changes. I, I do think that the decision to basically replace Joe Balser with Dennis Nordman should, in theory, even if they change nothing else, I think his designs will be better received. So that should get them more sales. So I think that's a smart play. But, yeah. But um, ultimately, I think their problem is more of a theme problem than anything else. Agreed. So, we'll see how it goes. Good luck to them, though. Yeah, good luck. Um, it's always interesting to see what pinball manufacturers are doing. Uh, actually, at the start of video games, I'm going to mention uh, a, another email we got from Chris Chandler, who wrote into us. This is sort of uh, this is sort of related to video games. Uh, it's really about DMCA. I have a link in the show notes to an article he sent in, uh, but apparently. Uh, some police officers in Beverly Hills uh, have found that they've or they have started to play licensed music really loudly when people are coming in and like live streaming them so that the bots will flag a DMCA notice and get an auto takedown through Instagram or whatnot that people are coming in and trying to film them live. Yeah. Um, I guess my cop my comment on this is that's really not what DMCA is supposed to be used for. Yeah, it's it's not, and I have ethics problems with it that probably lead towards getting more political than we than we ever get on this show. But I'll so I'll leave it at that. But I did I, I heard about this before I saw before before I saw the notes and, the, and again I saw it the other day. I was like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, being someone who who worked for a quasi public organization for years and is, and still works a lot with government, there is an expectation of transparency, and I and I understand that a lot of employees, uh, especially employees that are subject to a lot of criticism, like police officers, get very sensitive to being under that microscope. But um, I mean, I guess all I would say is that's the job, and yeah, that's I, what you well, sign up for when you work for government in any capacity. I, yeah, I I have to deal with it because my job is a governmental job. So mm-hmm. yeah, I had open records requests in the past. That's quasi public. We were subject to the same rule. We were treated as a public agency. So, uh, you know, if people wanted access to my emails. They could get them. It was just how it, it's just how it was. Yeah, that's exactly how it is. It's what it's it's what you learn to live with. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what else we had to learn to live with, Tony? We had to learn to live with uh, BlizzCon <sighs> as a virtual. What what? They called it something. They tried to call it something clever, like BlizzCon virtual or something. Or- yeah, it, they shouldn't have done it. Period. Like they tried to make it like a, a clever name for it. 
why shouldn't they have done it? Tony, you didn't love BlizzCon's virtual presentation? They didn't do it last year. They were making up for lost time with all this new information. Well, that's the thing is, oh, if this is what it was after having an extra, what, six months? Four months? So it should have been in October, so four months, and this is all that they've been able to add to what it would have been in October, this should never have happened. Because... I'll be a hundred percent honest. There was nothing here. The A number one thing that came out of this is that they're doing uh Diablo two resurrected, which is Diablo two that they're going to sell again with a graphics upgrade. Penny arcade but, predicted this. Well, it's no surprise. It's the absolute best of the Diablo games. It's the best of the games in that kind of genre period. My question is, is are they going to trash it as bad as what happened when they trashed um, Warcraft, Warcraft 3 Reforged? I doubt because it. I, even that was Activision complete- Blizzard has to learn a lesson somewhere from that. I don't, I don't think so. You don't? I don't think, no, I don't think they have to learn a lesson. All they look at is, wow, this, people paid a lot of money for this and then, we don't have to upkeep it because everyone hated it so much that we don't have to do anything with it, so we can just let it die. So I, I don't, I don't think they learned anything. Hmm. Well, it will probably make them money regardless. So. Oh, it will. It was I mean, inevitable. But other than that, they announced the new Hearthstone expansion. Uh, they announced one of the new, they showed off one of the new classes in Diablo 4, uh, which isn't going to be out this year. They, they dropped a bunch of tiny bits of inf- information on work or on Overwatch 2, but nothing important. What, that there's a character and there will be new maps? Okay. Oh, and the art's changed. But there's also no date, no time. This is all stuff that was announced two years ago at this point, and there's still no information about it, no dates, no times, no releases. It's just dangling on the vine, as it were. Um, I think the, the, the most interesting thing to come out of the BlizzCon virtual was uh, when Metallica did their concert. <laughs> On the official Twitch gaming channel, which was streaming BlizzCon, they started playing 8-bit music to avoid a, to automatically avoid a DMCA takedown. So, there's Metallica rocking out on screen, and like... <laughs> You're uh, hearing this royalty weird royalty-free free 8-bit yeah. music? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't like that on the main Blizzard channel, uh, apparently... But if people were watching on the Twitch gaming channel, or so the one that throws up whatever's the big hotness right now, then they got to watch that joy. Uh, I guess they did announce uh, the WoW Classic Burning Crusade, which yeah, for I me mean- is, is, I'm not going to play it, but it's interesting to me because I played a lot of WoW, and I consider WoW Burning Crusade expansion kind of my high point of wow i feel like it just went downhill after that i i agree and i mean i i bailed when wrath of the lich king was was coming out i guess if i remember correctly 
um, maybe it was before. Maybe it had it been was, out for it it, it. it had been out for a while because I bailed before you did, and I oh, played. No. Wrath it was of the Lich okay. King. No, I left after when the next expansion was getting ready to start from Wrath of the Lich King. I forget what the name, the one where they introduced the pandas. Um, yeah, it was like the Mists of Pandora or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I bailed before that was announced, but not long before. Right, because the uh, the issue with, where what I liked with Burning Crusade is that was the one where. They took the raid size down to twenty five. Yes, and I thought that was the it, that was the the perfect for when it came to end game. And you know, my my opinion before that, for those that don't know, in WoW in the WoW original vanilla, uh, the the high end raids at the end were forty people. That is an incredibly difficult organizational effort to do. I mean, yes. So, and I was involved in guild administration in World of Warcraft uh, when I was playing. I, I got in to, actually, it wasn't all that long after I joined an in-game guild that they put me in to a capacity where I was involved in leadership decisions. And just the organizational effort for 40 people was a nightmare. And the problem was when Wrath of the Lich King came out, then they kicked everything down to like 10-person raids. And I felt like that was the crossing point where in the in, in my view, a desperate attempt to keep WoW as large of a subscription base as possible. They went full lull casual and just compl- yeah. I, not to sound totally pretentious, but they went full casual accommodation, and it, there was no longer it didn't feel the same. And our our guild basically was collapsing at that stage because it's like you have a player base designed to try and run twenty five person raids, so you're running a guild that usually has like thirty to thirty five active people, and then you're having to do ten person raids. So logically, you're like, well, let's run two teams. But there was always the A team and the B team. And of course, the B team was the crap that wasn't good enough. And the A team was making more progress. And so you try and mix them. Uh, it just like logistically, it took all the fun away because it's like it became like with t- it was so easy to organize 10 people. Um, right. I always felt like the 25, I always felt that the 25 man was the sweet spot. The 40 was too big. Because if anything happened, the reset time on a 40 man was just. It was a constant churn of players who, you know, consistency and schedules and new players leaving and old players coming back. And with 25, you still had strategy. Like there was still like actual planning you needed to do outside of the raid. When it was down to 10, it was all pretty straightforward yeah. stuff. When it got, cause it, that's when it got to the point where you could pretty much do pickups. Mm-hmm. Uh, for exactly. almost everything you don't need a guild to get 10 people together to do a raid you just don't you just need nine decently competent people right but, but going back to the vanilla the 40 was uh, was a nightmare just one idiot could ruin everything and there were a lot of idiots in wow just like there are in everything in so life. many idiots yeah just don't i mean even in the 25s i remember we used to have to have training sessions don't stand in the fire it's bad don't don't go yeah. AFK when we're fighting a boss. Don't you don't, don't just all sorts of stuff. I remember when when Burning Crusade was around and we were we were doing a ten man little like mini raid for the for the bear mounts. I mean, I was able to take in. We would have a core group of people, uh, and that was one of my early. I did not run raids, but I ran those, and I put together a crew of like seven main seven or eight main people, and we just rotate in two kind of newbies. Uh, over and over and get them bear mounts and it just it was all really rigid and under with 10 I, that's all i needed i just needed yeah. most of the team to be competent and all you had to do i mean i was it always got to the point where it was like here we're going to do this run it had to get a mount you had to get it done in 45 minutes the whole thing so it was pretty fast and it was just like 
I would go in, we'd start, I'd explain here, all right, here's your character class. So here's what you're going to do during this. You will follow all of my instructions. I will give them all verbally. Do not deviate from my instructions in any way. I will script you through this. And after we got our first bear mount, I think we only ever didn't get the bear mount once or twice. And we just followed the formula. I actually had a video out on Warcraft uh, videos that showed people how to do that run. We were the first Horde, I'm going to brag a little bit. We were the first Horde guild on our server to have bear mounts. You're welcome. <laughs> so, but, and that, that that's what I saw with Wrath, you know, Wrath of the Lich King. It was just like, oh, well, I don't need a guild. I can do this. I can organize this. It just didn't feel epic anymore. Right. It didn't have that same level of. But Burning Crusade was awesome. I loved Burning Crusade. It was, it was fun. Uh, I, I felt like even the world events were the most fun. Uh, uh, and the, just the world, the normal kind of fetch and leveling stuff I thought was a lot more fun than a lot of the stuff that, like, Lich King wasn't nearly as good. So. Yeah. No, it, for me, that was the high point. That's I also when they introduced the flying mounts. Yes. Yeah. I could see that. Were, I could see why that'd be. Which were a ton of fun. I really only watched, uh, uh, much of the, uh, actually, I didn't watch anything outside of the Overwatch 2 content that they were doing. Um, but again, yeah. no day, no, I mean, it's like, okay, they showed a few costume changes, which were just tweaks. Fine. They showed a few maps. Okay, cool. Uh, you know, they, they've suggested that two CP, uh, two control point might not be in Overwatch 2 because it's an unpopular mode. Okay, whatever. I mean, I like two CP okay, but I don't, I wouldn't care if it went away. Um, it, uh, but there's just like, it's hard to get excited when you know it's not coming out this year. Right. And, and, they, and they talked about it in 2019. That, yeah. And some of the stuff that they talked about, like some of the PVP changes they talked about, they made sure to stress this might not happen. This is just something we're looking at right now. Yeah. But, and, and here, here are the current leveling trees, which seem to be straight out of, you know, th- like three tiers straight out of World of Warcraft. And, but, yeah. but it might all change. It's like, it, okay. it's, it's real disappointing. Um, it's like, yes, I love the idea of Reinhardt being able to like double flame strike and then while well, everyone's trapped into a junk rat trap that's spreading electricity among people, but um is that real? Or is that just like, hey, look, look at how we broke the game for pretend. Right. I don't and know. The other big question is gonna be uh how long are they gonna keep interest in Overwatch until two comes out? Because they've said in the past that there's not and there's nothing new coming to one until two comes out. Yeah, I I don't I just don't know. Uh I mean they ha- it has felt like they have been more aggressive on doing the balancing lately. So they have been doing a lot of balance adjustments, which I, I do appreciate, but Right, but, but there we're, used been a new to, character we're used to seeing new characters since- and maps. And the only thing they've done since Echo is I like they recently added a deathmatch map, which okay, so anyone who plays real Overwatch doesn't even see that map. Right. And that that's it. And yeah. Echo was added in nineteen. I think so. And the previous new ma- the previous new map was what Paris that was also added in very early nineteen, as I recall. Yeah, I think Paris was the last uh, real map. Yeah. It, I I don't know. I don't know what's unless it was the Busan. Was Busan after Paris? I don't remember. It was it was one of the two. Yeah, I mean it's been a long time. That's why we can't. Remember. Yeah, it's been a while because they were added, they were both added real close together. 
So but, yeah, I agree. It probably would have been better for them just to have done nothing. It would. I, I think, especially given how bad BlizzCon nineteen went for them, that they would have been better off just skipping it entirely until they had a big, big announcement to do. Well, with no release dates, it's like that's my sound of confusion. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is there was nothing... Oh, I guess they did the Blizzard Arcade, so oh, some yeah, of the classic yeah. Blizzard games will be playable. On, nobody cares. Yeah, I mean, there'll be a bunch of people who'll buy it for nostalgia, but then it'll be forgotten just as quick. Just like all these right. other arcade rehashes we constantly see from publishers. Right. And that's the thing, is there are things that they can put out and knock out pretty quick and easily and make some money off of, and it's no big deal. So, now, so any other gaming news going on, Tony? Uh, the only other thing that really jumped out at me, interesting wise, was CD Projekt Red. Oh, the makers of Cyberpunk. The makers of Cyberpunk. You know, the game that's all about hacking and and, and all that fun. Yeah, they got hacked. Uh oh. Uh, and it wasn't like a minor hack. I mean, it was a full on ransomware uh, uh hack that got a lot of information out, specifically uh, copies of a lot of their internal documentation from legal and HR and tons of other internal documentation, plus full game source code for Thornbreaker, The Witcher Tales, Witcher 3, the unreleased ray-traced version of Witcher 3, and Cyberpunk 2077 was uh, stolen by these hackers. Do you think they'll patch it for us? Maybe they will. Well, <laughs> hopefully whoever uh, bought it at auction, auction. the hackers put it up on auction because uh, CD Projekt Red said that they weren't, they wouldn't pay the ransom, blah, 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 blah. So the, the hackers created an auction for it, and they auctioned all of the source code for those games off to the highest bidder, um, which they got a high enough bidder that they... Uh, closed the auction. They put it up there as a starting bid of like $2 million with a buy it now price of $7 million, And they closed the auction early. So somebody paid them $7 million for all that source code. Hmm. Do you think now, Blizzard was, bought it? Oh, uh, wouldn't that be hilarious? <laughs> they could put out, man, th- this new, this Overwatch 2 sure feels a lot like Cyberpunk 2077, but with even more bugs because it's Blizzard. <laughs> Zerg 2077. It's just your characters are just reskinned as Zergs. Zerg yeah, it's just it. That's it, it's the new Starcraft. That's what. It yeah, is. yes, yes. <laughs> Witcher three becomes Star- Starcraft three. It's in the past now. Starcraft in the past. <laughs> Starcraft in the past. <laughs> just, space Marine riding a horse. So yeah, no, I just. I find it interesting that, I mean, you hear about these ransomware hacks all the time. They tend to catch major companies and governments, um, but rarely when they're hit are they such a large uh, technology-based company that you would think would have really good... um, Cybersecurity, but I guess Sony got hit a few years ago, as I recall too. 
Yeah, I don't remember uh, if they lost a lot of game code or if it was just like their motion. I remember like motion picture stuff was accessed. Right. They lost like movies, like whole movies that hadn't even been released yet were appearing in perfect form on uh, uh, torrents and stuff because they had the whole thing. All the movies got hacked out. So, but this is, it's a surprise to me that a company that should have be so concentrated on uh, internal security and, and cybersecurity, considering that's literally their bread and butter, got hit in this way. Um, it's shocking, and I kind of wonder what is going to come out. Because you know there's tons of documentation that they've flat out admitted internal documentation got picked up. And I'm waiting to see if those emails start hitting, talking about the, you know, the crunch that wasn't going to happen that happened and all the cyberpunk issues and the delays and everything. Because that's all part of the stuff that was stolen, not to mention, you know, employee uh, personal employee information. So all those employees have to worry about that. This is not going to do them very much good. And it's definitely going to hurt their already hurting stock prices from cyberpunk. So CD project red has just had a, uh, a bad couple of months. Yep. Things are not looking so good. They, they, they don't understand that they're not rock star. They can't do literally nothing and still be the greatest company ever and make millions of dollars. Yep. <laughs> Feels bad, man. Feels bad. So, but that was all the interesting stuff we had in this yep. fairly short episode. But full of uh, passion. Lots, much, so much passion. And if you're passionate about what you heard on the episode, you can always reach out to us at eclecticgamerspodcast.gmail.com or over on facebook.com slash eclecticgamerspodcast. We're available on Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram as eclectic underscore gamers. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. There might be more hacks to report. There might be more virtual conferences to degrade. There might be more hires by American Pinball. We don't know yet. Uh, but we'll find out. And we'll in let two weeks. you all know. Yes, in two weeks. Until then, I'm Dennis. I'm Tony. Goodbye, everybody. See ya.